3: Welcome to the program. It's Friday. We're at the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call. 340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen and everything else is hands-free, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We have a lot going on. You may hear a little bit of noise in the background. Our kids are getting ready for our children's Christmas play tonight and it's always one of the highlights of the year. Um, It's a little different this year because we couldn't rent the normal uh, performing arts center that we do. So we're going to be crowded and, and space is tight. But uh, to watch the kids is a blessing. Uh, You can watch it live stream at CalvarySA.com. We're going to start at 7 o'clock tonight. And then there's going to be a second showing uh, tomorrow at 6 o'clock in the evening uh, here at the church. Well, let's get to questions and comments or anything that you have. Um, We'll wait for your phone calls. Our first question comes from uh, our email inbox and it is anonymous. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron, can you explain more about the kingdom of God and its meaning? If someone is saved, won't they see the kingdom of God, even if they go into a season of sinning? For example, an 18-year-old is saved, goes to college and starts sinning at 19. That person dies. Will they see the kingdom of God? I may have the wrong meaning to the kingdom of God. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, The kingdom of God in this context, in Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, He's simply saying that, that, that somebody who sins as a lifestyle, willfully, planning, deliberate sin, uh, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Anonymous, we don't dare soften that. That was written by the Holy Spirit. Our job is simply to, to explain what he wrote And I think we try to to explain it away or to soften it too often because we want to think, well, what about somebody who's saved? And and then they'll give an example just like yours. Um, But here's what it means. It means that people who live in willful sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. It means they're not going to heaven. Now, regarding the rest of your question, if someone is saved, if they're really saved, they're always going to be saved. And it's true that people do go into times of sinning. But you see, God knows the heart and you and I don't. We we create all these polite words for sin. We we'll say, well, we're backsliding or well I know I shouldn't but and we'll have all kinds of excuses and rationalization. But see, God knows our heart. And remember, somebody isn't saved just because they say they're saved. Somebody's not saved, and I'm going to use our church as an example because I don't want anybody to think I'm not being direct here. But if somebody comes to Calvary Chapel, that doesn't save them. I don't care whether they've been here their entire lives. That doesn't save them. What saves them is being born again and having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. So the person that starts sinning, and we have people that will sin and repent and come back. Sometimes people will be away from uh, sin uh, or away in sin for, for quite a period of time. Uh, I've had people come back after years and years and years of sinning. And the fact that they return demonstrate that they really always were saved. Now let me deal with something else that's always dangerous when we're talking about these hypothetical situations. The person, people, and again, there's a lot of them that I'm talking about who have come back to the Lord after a long time away. And I'm talking uh, a year, two years, in in one case, more than 10 years. uh, They didn't die. God is sovereign. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So God is faithful and he'll get them to the end. But here's what's going to happen. That willful sinner, God is going to make their life an absolute miserable existence. So here's what we have to do. We've got to understand that God is the one who's in control. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, Paul says in those two instances. So God knows our heart. God knows when we're going to die. He doesn't cause it. But he knows when it's going to happen because he knows everything. And if people are that close to that moment when they're going to die, God is going to do everything that he can to beg them. I mean, he follows us. We sing a song here at church, um, and and I don't know the titles and the names, but it's one of the ones I love the most. It's It's the chorus is, the goodness of God keeps running after me. Think about that. The goodness of God keeps running after us. So in your example, the 18-year-old, who is saved and goes to college and starts experimenting with sin the goodness of God is going to be running after that young man or that young woman and if they die it's not going to be because God didn't call them to himself it just means that God is going to step up the process a little bit to get them to come home to him now, one of the things, and I talked, Paul and I talked about this on the program yesterday, and I'd like everybody who's been listening to the program, and I, I want to think, I want you to think about things this way. We're so sure that people are saved because they say they are, that we actually justify or explain away their sin. We who are believers anonymous, we ought to be more concerned about walking in personal holiness, we ought to be more concerned about the people we love walking in holiness and the truth is we want to believe people are saved, especially if they're family members or dear friends, we want to believe they're saved because we don't want to hurt and it's easier just to sort of brush off this whole holiness thing we talk more about grace grace is a wonderful thing to talk about But we in these last days, Paula and I said yesterday in the program, this is an urgent time that we live in. Paul says we're to redeem this time, making the most of every opportunity. Well, if we're not living for Jesus Christ, if we're not pursuing holiness, then we have no sense of urgency about us at all. And what we need to do, especially with our young ones when they go away to college, when we know they're going to be tested. And by the way, their testing is a good thing. It's sort of their tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God puts that tree in every one of our lives. Metaphorically speaking, God puts that tree in every one of our lives. And what we've got to do is make sure that our kids know the truth. And then they're going to start making adult choices and there's going to be adult consequences. And we who are parents can't explain it away by saying, oh, well, they're saved. Remember what I said yesterday. If somebody's acting like an unbeliever, treat them like an unbeliever. If they get offended by that, and they say, well, well, I'm a Christian, just ask them the question directly. Well, how could I tell? How would anybody be able to tell you're a Christian based on the way that you're living? And I think, Anonymous, we are reaping really bad fruit from this light-hearted approach toward holiness. Because we're watching kids think nothing at all of being willful sin your children are connected to computers and your kids are watching porn your kids are having sex your kids are going out and getting drunk or getting high on drugs and we think oh well they're saved i raised them in church if we really love them we'll be honest brutally honest if necessary with them and unless we make that sort of course correction, our kids are never going to take their own walk with Jesus seriously because we, the parents, don't. So I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Thank you for the question. Here is a question again, Anonymous, from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I don't mean to sound insensitive. But I was told by a Christian brother that little people are little because of incest of family members sleeping with one another. Is that the case? Um, Anonymous, two things. One, and I'm going to get on my soapbox again. Uh, I would highly suspect that your so-called Christian brother is not a Christian brother at all because a Christian could never say that kind of thing. That's judging in the worst degree, judging about things they don't know anything about. Not only is it judging, but it's gossip, it's lies, it's slander. They're just repeating something that somebody else has said. Probably read it on the internet, and we know if it's on the internet, it's true. So here's what we've got to do as Christians. I realize this isn't you, but somebody that a a so-called Christian told you. Well, here's where we need to tell that so-called brother or sister, that they need to stop spreading that silliness, that hate, that they need to repent instantly, and that they need to go and correct the people who said it to them. Because this is absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. This is a person, your so-called Christian brother, he doesn't know who God is. Uh, Again, I don't know. You, I don't know them. But this is this is a man spreading absolute filth. And this breaks Jesus' heart. So, it's not true. We need to take responsibility for the things that so-called Christians say to us. We need not to be an audience for that kind of hatred, that kind of silliness. This is just an inane... Evil comment that was made by somebody who, if they really knew who Jesus was, they could never say such a thing, nor could they ever say that about somebody else that they don't know anything about. Here's another case where we've got to start taking our personal holiness really seriously in these last days, because this is the kind of nonsense that that gives our Christ, the bad name. I hope that's direct enough. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Carla. Were Adam and Eve created with the sin nature? If not, how could they have sinned? Um, K- Carla, that's a great question. No, they were not created with the sin nature. They were created... Uh, In the image of God, and I mean in the direct, express image of God, and God looked at them and said, this is good, this is very good. In fact, this is the best I could do. The opportunity to sin was the result of God giving us all the gift of free will. Now remember, Adam and Eve, uh, Adam in particular, is our federal head. His name means man or mankind. Um, And mankind has been blessed by God with the opportunity to choose Him or reject Him of their own free will. And so when God put that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and said, you can have everything else, but this one tree, don't eat the fruit from this tree. He warned them, or you'll surely die. When He did that, he was giving them the opportunity to choose. Now, I'm going to go back one step farther, Carla, because this is exactly the same thing happened uh, that happened with the angels. This is God's created beings, whether angelic or human, they all had an opportunity to choose. We know Satan and a third of the angels made the wrong choice, and they were cast out of the presence of God. Adam had the same choice, and he made the wrong one. And as a result, from our federal head, Romans 5, we inherited his sin nature. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that from that point forward, everybody is born condemned already. We're going to sin because we are sinners. So this was a free will choice. Now, the question that usually follows is, well, why does God give us free will? Because God wants to be loved, and it's not love if God forces us to love him. And because God forces us, or doesn't force us to love him, he gives us the opportunity to express our love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So Adam and Eve were not created with the sin nature. Everybody else since them, was born with that sin nature, inherited from him. But they sinned because when given the choice of their own free will, they, like many of us, they put something ahead of God. By the way, um, Adam, it was Eve who was deceived. Adam made a willful choice. This was his wife. He loved her. She sinned. He joined her, choosing Eve over God. Fellowship with my wife rather than fellowship with God. That's what he did with his free will choice. The question, Carla, and I don't want to make this personal for you, but for every one of us, is what do we do with our free will choices that we have the opportunity to make every single day? I'm sure no one would want to live in a world Where we were like robots and we'd say, praise God, praise God, praise God. But we didn't really mean it. We did it because we had no choice. So God gave us a choice. And this is the choice that Adam made. And we inherit it. The question again is, what are we going to do every single day with our free will choices? So that's how that happened, Carla. Thank you for the question. Here is a question that just came in, called into the studio, Anonymous. When John was in jail, he asked his disciples to check and see if this is really the Messiah. Was this John having doubts? If so, why would he have doubts when he did God's work all his life? Thank you. This is a question that can best be answered, Anonymous, um, just by looking at your own life. You know, when we, uh, when things are going, and I'm talking about real believers, when things are going well, we're just all praise God, hallelujah, all the time. But then when things don't turn out the way we thought they'd turn out, we start doubting, don't we? Why did God do this? And Well, if God is blessing me, or if this is God's will for my life, why is it so hard? If, if God loves me, why did I get sick? Well, that's exactly what John was experiencing in jail. Let me take it one step further. John was Jesus' cousin. I get calls and questions about the series The Chosen. Um, uh, fairly frequently, uh, and I've watched two seasons of it. Uh, and and for the most part, I really like it. There's some things that bother me. But I think one of the things that they did the best in season two is sort of develop the relationship between John and Jesus. I mean, they knew each other. John, who was filled with the Spirit from from before birth in his mother's womb, Um, He knew exactly who Jesus was. But basically, when he was in prison, when his life was in danger, when he would look around and think, well, Rome is still in control. Uh, My cousin Jesus is supposed to bring the kingdom of God. And like every Jew at the time, thought, well, why hasn't he ushered in the kingdom of God? He's doing miracles. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. He's preaching with authority. We knew that would happen. But why am I in jail? And in those dark moments of the soul, the enemy would come to John and did God really say, always causes doubt. And John would wonder, well, am I going to get out of here? Why am I suffering? Why does it appear the bad guys are winning is really what he's saying. And in a moment of darkness and weakness John who is greater than all of the other prophets John asked his disciples you go ask Jesus are you the one or should we wait for another it's just doubt doubt brought on primarily by the enemy and when Jesus was asked the question he said you go tell John this and then he listed from the Old Testament passages what the Messiah would do, you tell him the blind can see, lepers are cleansed, the dead are being raised, demons are being cast out, and and I'm certain when John's disciples carried that message back to him, John would have shaken his head and said, of course he's the one, and then he would have had to be comfortable with the things he didn't understand. Now, I put it that way because too many of us are not comfortable with the things that we don't understand. Faith looks behind the scenes and understands that God is always in control. That God is the one who's calling the shots. Faith remembers that God cannot break his promises. And so when we look around at the whole world and we see going crazy and it looks so often like evil is winning, we have the same kind of doubts. And the devil has never changed his M.O., Not from the very beginning of time. It's always, did God really say, is God really good? Well, if God is love, why are you suffering the way you are? And we, like John, have doubts. John was the greatest of all humans, but he still was human. Still a sinner, but that's the reason. And I think we can, all of us, understand that. That's a wonderful question, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Michelle on line one from San Antonio. Michelle, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. I just had a question about um, a situation that I'm in right now. My daughter, she lived with me for 17 years. Um, She started acting up this past year and decided to move in with her dad because she didn't want to follow my rules. And um, that was having piercings on her face, dressing, a way that I didn't approve of, and um, just doing things that I didn't let her do. So now we're under um, a court hearing that he wants to take me for child support. And um, I've agreed on all that. But now my concern is when she comes over here, um, and I, I see her every weekend or every other weekend, whatever we decide on, I want my rules to stay the same. Um, She does whatever she wants with her dad, but my thing is I want her to continue to obey when she visits us. No piercings on the face. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see her stomach and her skin showing. I want her to be under my rules. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that that's something I should continue to do? Because I also think about, Excuse me, Pastor.
3: I always think about her salvation. Yeah. And my heart heart hurts being
4: too
3: for hard on mother. Yeah, my heart really, really hurts for you. And the answer to your question is no, you're not being too hard. She's at an age now where she has the right to make that choice. And we don't like the choices that she's making. But the one thing that she needs in her life is a consistent person in her life who's always going to point to Jesus. And you're that person. And so it's even more important that you enforce the rules. You need to let her know that the fact that she changed homes, that she's living with her father because her father is going to permit these things, um, th- that, doesn't, that doesn't affect you at all. And this is going to sound really, really hard for you. And I don't mean to, to break your heart. But here's one of the things. If you're gonna not going to abide by my rules when you come to my house then just stay with your father. And at least she'll always know when she gets into trouble. And Michelle, people that follow the ways of the world, they're going to get in trouble. And there's going to be consequences. And in the middle of those consequences, the Holy Spirit is going to knock on the door of her heart and say, you know, you can always go back to the one who's never changed. Your mom is still there. Your mom still loves you. Let her know that you love her, that you're not angry with her, that your heart is broken. But... You haven't changed because Jesus is still your Lord and Savior. And as difficult as this is, this is one of those things you're going to have to trust that God loves her way more than you do. And you have to make that stand. Now, there's going to be people in your family, no doubt, who think that you're being too hard. You're going to have to purpose in your heart. you're going to Like Daniel, resolve that I'm going to represent Jesus no matter what. Thank you, Michelle, and I'm so sorry for you. I'll actually be praying for you and your daughter. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back to the second half of our friday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR before i move on to questions michelle I, i pray you're still listening and I want you to know our heart breaks. I know and have lived with this or through this with a lot of people over the years. It's one of the consequences of divorce and in and, 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 and many cases inconsistency in unequally yoked relationships. Um, kids that want to sin, um, they make horrible choices uh, and, and soon they will be paying adult consequences, and they need to see consistency. As difficult as it is for you to hear that, I know you want to see your daughter as often as you can, and you can still do that. You can go to dinner. You can go to lunch. You can hang out in the park, whatever it is that that, that, that the two of you enjoy doing. She needs to know that you love her endlessly that your door is always open. It's just that when she goes through that open door, she has to remember that she now is in Jesus' house. And when you do that, again, the Holy Spirit will use your consistency to sort of counterbalance the inconsistency in the rest of their lives. And as painful as that is, I promise you, Michelle, that witness will be something that God is able to use. So, And I really will be praying for you and your daughter. This one really hit my heart deeply. Let's go to Line 1 and talk with Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Ray. Uh, let's, let's go back to the garden where there was Adam and then Eve came along. And uh, she was the one that... Uh, Took the apple and ate it, or whatever fruit it was, or mm-hmm. so on. And uh, what I, I just was puzzling over this that uh, if Adam ha- he had he had a choice either to uh, uh, partake with his his mate Eve or not and and uh, what would have what would have been the you know uh, it, it it just is puzzling to me as to did he really have much of a choice to you know go against uh, the wishes of his uh, uh mate or uh, was was his his mind clouded or you know, was he thinking straight or not? Or, you know, I just wonder what would have happened if he had not, if he had said, "No, I'm not going to eat that. We're not supposed to." Yeah. You know, <laughs>
3: would,
2: would there have been any people?
3: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and Ray, here's the, here's the biggest mystery. Here is is because he made the wrong choice. We'll never we'll never know. But clearly, God told him to multiply. Uh, you know, to, 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 to come together and multiply and fill the earth. So God's plan wouldn't have been uh, restricted. Um, um, what Adam lacked was the faith to understand that if I choose God over Eve, um, God's going to find a way to make this right. And see, he never got the opportunity to, to learn that on his own. And what what he should have done is he should have said to Eve, when she, she said, take and eat, uh, however she did it, she could have been seductive and said, you know, this is the best tasting thing I've ever had. And by the way, I'm sure it's not an apple, because this fruit would have tasted better than any apple could ever have tasted. And, and if he would have said to her, um, uh, if you make me choose between you and God, I have to choose God. I love you, but I have to choose God. Then we would have found out the infinite grace that God had available. It wouldn't be like, well, she's lost and and God would have made somebody else. God would have found a way, the same way he makes a way for us when we sin and we come back to him. So, Ray, what he should have done, what we should do in situations when our spouse, either the the man seducing the, the wife or the wife seducing the husband into sin, um, we have to make a choice. Do I love God more or do I love my spouse more? And and while that means there's going to be some difficult times, there's going to be some tension, God will get us through that. And God is still looking for people, just like I believe he was looking for Adam, to, to find men and women who would stand for him no matter the temptations that are out there. So, uh, again, these are hypotheticals that never happened so we don't know what we do know is the nature and the character of God. He still would have made a way for Adam and Eve to, to, to um, multiply, um, mankind on the earth, and and God is gracious. He, he Adam could have found that out, but but I can tell you this: it would have been a much better testimony, and we. Well, then we wouldn't have been born of sin nature. I think the key, Ray, is that. God wasn't surprised by these choices, and he wasn't ill-prepared for them as well. Good question, Ray. Thank you. Let's go to our friend Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
5: Hi. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you're doing well today.
3: I am, Ruben. Thank you.
5: That's great. That's great. Um, I have uh, two questions, um, both regarding death and the afterlife when people and I, I think you spoke about this last week but i uh kind of was in and out of the uh, out of, uh, listening because my brother was here with me so mm-hmm. um when someone passes away right now uh, whether they be christian okay christians or non-believers when they pass away where do they go since the bible says that when he when jesus returns He's going to judge everyone and the dead will rise. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, they're not in hell or heaven yet. So where where are they technically? And then for those who die in Christ and when it's we're going to be in a glorified body, are we going to be in the same looking body or is it going to be? A completely, totally different body. I know it's going to be glorified, but mm-hmm. is it going to be like what we look like today?
3: Thank you, Remini You know, one one thing I can assure you that we will we will be recognizable. Uh, we will be known as we are known by God. So so there, there's no question that we will recognize people. Remember when when um, uh, Moses and Elijah Elijah rather were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Even the disciples knew who they were. So clearly, in our glorified state, um, who we are is going to be known to everybody. Now, I'm only hoping, Reuben, that my body won't look like it does now. (laughs) I'm really hoping that I'm going to be 6'3", and I'm going to be 175 pounds. And I'm really hoping all of that's going to be true. Uh, I know a lot of guys with with bald heads are hoping, oh no, I hope I have hair in heaven. So our bodies, while recognizable, they're not going to be anything like these. We're going to be likened, we are likened unto a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. So these bodies that we have now are are not fit for heaven. So um, um, that that metamorphosis that, that occurs um, when we are translated into heaven uh, at death or later in the rapture, everything will change. Now, where are they now? That's the question you asked. Um, the dead in Christ, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we instantly go into the presence of the Lord. And, and when Paul says, writing to the churches in Thessalonica, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, What he's saying there isn't, isn't, you know, the way we read it chronologically. What he's saying is that the dead in Christ have already risen. So they're not going to come after us. They're going to go before us. And all that means, Reuben, if I'm old, so if I die today and you die over the weekend, I'm already going to be there. I'm going to beat you there before you get there. And, and we know that because he was specifically dealing with the question about false teachers telling the, the, the Christians in Thessalonica. Um, and, and, and I don't think it was willful, but, but people were asking, well, well, the rapture hasn't happened or the Christ hasn't come back. So did the people who've died in the meantime, did they miss out? And and he's saying, no, 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 don't worry about them missing out. The dead in Christ have already risen. And that's what the language says very clearly in Thessalonica. So we who are believers instantly go into the presence of the Lord. And I believe we'll have instantly our glorified resurrected bodies. Reuben, there are some people that teach that only our spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. I don't believe that to be true. Uh, We know that spirits do not like to be disembodied, and certainly if we were disembodied spirits, that wouldn't be heavenly. So, um, uh, John and Paul both say that when we go to be with him, we will be like he is. So, we'll have our glorified, resurrected bodies. Unbelievers, it's a different situation. Uh, Luke chapter 16 tells us where unbelievers go when they die, and they instantly go into the place of torment. We know that Luke 16 teaches that there are two compartments in the middle of the earth. It's the abyss, the Greek word is the abuso, place of torment, the other is a place that the Bible calls paradise. When Jesus died before he was resurrected, he descended to the lower parts of the earth and he set the captives free. What that means is that he took all of the people in paradise. He took them to heaven with him. Now, the other compartment, the place of torment, is a place that's still occupied. And people are going to be there until the end of the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And then they're going to be delivered over to final judgment or what Paul calls the second death. So I hope that makes sense to Reuben. Good questions. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from... Micah, can you please speak about what it means to quench the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Micah, this is pretty easy. To quench the Holy Spirit is to be disobedient to God. You know, when the Holy Spirit is is, is um, um, knocking on the door of your heart and asking um, uh, for you to repent about something and you don't do it, you're quenching. Um, you know, if you've ever taken a match, now I can't do this because it just seems creepy to me, but I've had people, they'll kind of, lick their fingers and go and put the, put the fire out on a match um, um, you just extingu- extinguishing the flame well that's what happens when we're being disobedient there's always this flame if you're a believer the Holy Spirit lives in you and will never leave you he'll be with us Jesus said "Yea, until the very end of the age but when we go through disobedience we're quenching that fire and then there's no power. So that's what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple other practical examples, Micah. Um, you are a husband. I'm, I'm, I'm just hypothesizing here. And um, you're not loving your wife the way Christ loved the church. You're looking to her to meet your needs instead of you meeting her needs. Instead of serving her, you want her to be served. Instead of being... Loving and kind and gentle and patient with her. You're impatient and angry. Well, you're quenching the Spirit. What that means is that God can't hear your prayers. It means that God can't use you in any meaningful way. Um, It means that you need to repent so you can let that fire of the Spirit burn all over again. And those are just examples of what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says in a family setting, fathers do not exasperate. One translation says, the other translation says, uh, embitter your children. Um, if, if you're a dad and you're not living consistently, uh, if you say one thing to your kids and live another way, well, then you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit he says that we should instead be filled, continually being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. So Micah, it simply means that if you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to get right with God you've got to stay right with God. If you do not get right with God or stay right with God, then you're quenching the work that the Spirit wants to do in your life and and, and we're the ones who are missing out. There are also... Um. Earthly consequences. Um, Michelle, who broke my heart at the end of the first half of the program, um, she has chosen to live consistently and it's causing her a lot of pain right now. While the parent who isn't choosing to honor God with his life and just allowing his teenage daughter to do whatever it is she wants to do, that's a man who's going to stand before the Lord. He's quenched the work of the Spirit. I think for me, the saddest thing is a lot of times those parents are professing Christians who really aren't serious about their walk with the Lord at all. Here's a question from Richard. Do you think Jews and Israel will have a role in the end-time scenario? Richard, that's the only focus of the end-time scenario. Is God dealing with national Israel? And so, yes, the minute the church is raptured and we're taken to heaven, then everything returns to the nation of Israel and Jewish people. God has a lot of promises that he made to Abraham that he has to fulfill. God has made promises to King David about sitting on the throne. He'll have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. That has to be fulfilled. Israel, once again, will have to be given the opportunity to be grafted back into the vine. And we know that a third of the Jews who are alive at the time, those who will prove that they truly are Israel, the name means governed by God, then those are the people that are going to be the focus of the last seven years. So that's the only thing the end time center. It's hard for us in the world that we live in to think about Israel being the center of the world. You know, we talk about big, great cities, New York and and, and London and, and and other cities in the world. And we think Moscow and, and Beijing. We, we think those are the cities now that matter. The only city that's ever mattered to God is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the center of all end times activity. The whole world is concerned about Jerusalem. And you would think looking at a map, it's just this little tiny, relatively insignificant stretch of land. And yet the whole world is focused always and has always been on what's going on on that strip of land. So, um, Richard, yeah, those the, the God is done with the church aid. He's done with the dispensation of grace at the rapture of the church, and then everything else depends only on Israel. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Teresa. She says, "Can salvation be lost?" Teresa, uh, I don't mean to make light of the question, but whenever anybody asks, can you lose your salvation? I always respond with, I don't want to. Why would any of us want to lose our salvation? Now, the truth is, when people ask this question, usually, usually, not always, so I'm not judging you, Teresa, but usually what they're really saying is, well, I'm choosing to sin right now. Does that mean I lose my salvation? And I would never give anybody who's living in sin any security at all in their salvation. The Bible doesn't. Why would I? I can say this. If you're truly a believer, you can't lose what was given to you freely. You can't lose what God has guaranteed you. But I want to remind you, there's a whole lot of people who think they're saved. They say they're saved. Who really have never been born again. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, in those days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will interrupt. Why do you call me Lord? You call me Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do. And um, at that moment, the secrets of those hearts are going to be bared. So if you're really saved, Teresa, and you're living with sin, stop it. You can prove you're really saved by stopping sinning. If on the other hand you say, "Well, I'm not ready to stop sinning. I'm not ready to get rid of this relationship or I'm not ready whatever it is you're doing." Then then the one thing I want you to do is question your salvation. Do you really belong to Jesus? How can we know who he is and what he's done for us and continue to sin? The Apostle John, who's often referred to as the Apostle of Love, especially as he got older. Church history records that John, all they could do is set him up. and He was so old and so feeble that all he had was enough strength to say, love, love. Imagine how old and wise he was, and people would want to talk to him. And his response to all their questions would be, love. Love. I point that out because he also said if you say you love God but hate your brother you're a liar he said if you say you love God but you're walking in darkness you're a liar and the truth isn't in you so those are the things that we've got away I'm going to weigh. Oh, and when I say weigh, W-E-I-G-H so Teresa if you really saved Jesus has you if you're living outside of God's will for your life and you're doing it willfully And I would tell you to repent, give your life to Jesus Christ, turn from sin and say, yes, God. And then I promise you, you will feel so secure that you'll never ask that question again. Teresa, I'm not bragging here, but let me say one more thing. I've been saved now in February. It'll be 31 years. And I have never in 31 years had a single moment's doubt about being saved. Not a single moment's doubt. Even when I was making some bad choices, when I was learning what it was like to be a Christian and I kept messing up, I still never doubted that I was his because he was always working with me and in me and through me. And I knew that he was right there beside me and because he was right there beside me, I never had to worry about whether I'm saved or not. And I think it hurts Jesus' heart I really think it hurts Jesus' heart, Teresa, when we doubt the promises that he's made us in regard to to, to our salvation. Again, almost 31 years, I've never had a single moment of doubt. Thank you for the question. This will be the last one of the day. Patricia, she said, Do you think it's better to spend more time in the Bible or to spend more time cultivating a relationship with Jesus? Patricia, I'm not sure I get... The, the, the question completely. Um, I don't think you can spend more time with Jesus. I don't think you can, can cultivate a relationship with Jesus if you're not in the Word. How else do we know who He is? And I know there's a lot of people who like the idea, it's sort of a of a, a naive notion that, well, I don't need to be in the Bible. I just want to go hang out with Jesus. But you don't even know who He is if you're not spending time in the Word. So my my answer is yes it's better to spend more time in the bible and yes it's better to spend more time cultivating a relationship with jesus you got to get to know him but how can you know him without being in the word and patricia i can say this to you and to everybody listening that men and women those of us who are professing christians and those of us who really are christians There is no way that we can stand under the onslaught of the evil in this world if we're not men and women of the Word. If you're not in the Bible daily, and I don't mean just reading it to check off a box, but if you're not in the Word, if you're not living the Word, then the world is going to convince you that they're right. And we've already seen a lot of so-called Christians decide that certain things that God says are wrong are right. It's okay to be a homosexual. It's okay to be equally yoked. It's okay now, we're being told, to, to reject your biological sex. And God's okay with all of that. And we're seeing a lot of so-called Christians caving in to the propaganda, the pressure from the world that we live in. So Gotta spend more time in the Word. Gotta spend more time in the Word. You know, when Christians begin to question the Word of God. And now we've got all this information coming to us online and people say, Well, I looked it up, and there are real Christians who are who are gay. No, they're not. They may be gay, but they're not real Christians. They gotta meet Jesus. And that's what we've got to remember. Very important. I appreciate the question, Patricia. Hey, quickly, tonight is our children's and youth Christmas party at 7 o'clock. You can watch it online at calvaryessay.com. Please pray for the kids. As many of you know, I've said it a lot on this program. We have a small building, got a lot of people, and tonight it is going to be wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling. So pray for the little kids. May they have a wonderful time. It will be a blessing for the rest of us tomorrow's Children's Christmas Play is at 6 o'clock in the evening. And we'll see you back at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week with Jesus. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.